All right, welcome everyone. This is Dr. Clark in the Center for Weight Loss Success. And today on Losing Weight USA, we're going to talk a little bit about gluten, gluten sensitivity, and kind of what does that mean? How does it affect you? And, you know, are there ways around it type of thing? And the answer is it potentially can be a very big problem for people. So we're going to kind of go through some of these things and try to figure out is this something you ought to be aware of? Well, it is something you ought to be aware of, but is it something that, hey, you ought to really try to avoid is gluten? Would you? Would it improve your health? All right, look, welcome to Losing Weight USA, real-time answers to your weight loss questions. Some of the latest updates and research, as well as a little bit of expert advice, gives you direct access not only to me, but you should be receiving the health tips and recipes via the membership portal. If you have questions during the presentation, just type them into the chat box as we go along. We'll get to them at the end. If you think of things once we're all done, just give us a yell here at the Center for Weight Loss Success. The email is success at cfwls.com. Phone number 757-873-1880. All right, I do encourage you, as always, get into the membership site. We have all those health tips. These are all recorded, all the other educational videos. All right, so let me get the slides going. I think we are good. All right, okay, so we start out with a little cartoon here, and it's just for those who are listening, not watching. It's a doctor walking in, talk to the patient, and says, the high-carb diet I put you on 20 years ago gave you diabetes, gave you high blood pressure, and heart disease. Oops. And sometimes it may seem like that. All right. And it has been kind of uh, quite a change over these last uh, oh, 25 to 30 years because uh, it's been quite a long time that the U.S. government has endorsed that high-carb diet. Now, things are slowly coming around to, to offset that. But in 1992, the U.S. government endorsed, endorsed a high-carb, low-fat diet. Now, they've been talking about low-fat diets literally from the late 60s, 70s. And as time went on, people actually did kind of go onto a lower fat diet. But that automatically meant they went on a higher carbohydrate diet. And in 1992, the US government really endorsed this high carb, low fat diet. And we can see kind of just from that time on, kind of those early 90s until kind of the present, the these recommendations, recommendations, there's a sharp incline. After that, of people that became diabetic and just kind of the number of diabetics in the millions just skyrocketed after that. So we kind of, the U.S. government put their blessing on this high-carb diet to better because they wanted to be on a low-fat diet. Diabetes just took off after that. And kind of all the problems that go along with diabetes, which typically are inflammatory issues. All right, and part of that, not all of that, but part of that can potentially be related to gluten. So gluten is a, is basically it's a, a protein that's in grain, and specifically mainly in wheat, okay? Latin 
gluten basically means glue, okay, just like it sounds like. And uh, gluten really is just a, a large water-soluble protein that's found mainly in grains. Now, one of the reasons it's so important in kind of these grains, it gives elasticity to dough. So when you kind of think about, gee, punching down the dough and it rising and kind of work, you know, the pizza man making the, the dough and then there's pulling it, it gives elasticity to it. So it helps the dough rise and also to keep its shape. You'll often notice when you buy gluten-free products, they seem to be somewhat a little denser. They don't rise quite as much. And that's part of the gluten effect there. But gluten has also produced then a lot of related disorders. And kind of it's a uh, gluten-related disorders are kind of an umbrella term of any type of disease that's kind of triggered or worsened by gluten. And certainly this includes celiac disease, the bigger one. You know, people often realize, okay, celiac gluten, that's, they go together there. Um, so celiac disease, but also gluten sensitivity. And then finally, kind of wheat allergy, which wheat allergy is kind of truly an urgent thing. People can get it anaphylactic from it. So usually um, people, if they have a true wheat allergy, they know it. Okay, they're walking around with their EpiPen and things like that. Um, but just realize like any allergy throughout our lifetime, we can develop allergies to anything. Okay? And it doesn't really matter what, it's just kind of some type of uh, uh, an allergy, just an allergy is just an immunologic response that is triggered by something. And it can be, you know, medications to foods to bee stings to peanut you know there are lots of people have different allergies and it, it isn't that we're always born with these out we often develop allergies as time goes on and it's because we're exposed to different things and certain combination of exposures may actually uh, produce an immune response and so a lot of these gluten related disorders they're pretty much related to an immune response there. Now, the big one truly is celiac disease, or CD, kind of a shorthand for it. And it's truly an immune-related disorder. And it affects uh, you know, 1 to 2% of the population. So it actually is a tremendous number of people. You know, 1 to 2% doesn't sound like that much. Okay? But those people we're talking about, 1 to 2%, we're talking about true celiac disease. Whereas just gluten problems, probably much more common. So celiac disease, one to 2% of the population, the symptoms with celiac disease typically are gastrointestinal. They have chronic diarrhea, abdominal pain, get a lot of bloating, a lot of malabsorption, a lot of gas. And the treatment for that truly is a gluten-free diet. Yeah, you get a gluten-free diet and it all settles down. Now, there are lots of people, though, that don't have true celiac disease, but may have what we refer to as non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And this kind of one, we, we often shorten it as gluten sensitivity. The people are sometimes sensitive to gluten. That's really all it means. And they may or may not have intestinal complaints. Celiac disease typically has lots of intestinal complaints. Now, the non-celiac gluten sensitivity they certainly may have intestinal complaints, but they may not too. And so there are a lot of multiple 
and they often have to do with inflammatory changes. But they can be, we'll talk about more about these symptoms in a couple of minutes, but they can be uh, from, you know, brain fog to, you know, I'm just tired all the time, don't sleep well, kind of a lot of vague type of symptoms that may actually be very closely related to the gluten itself. That's true gluten sensitivity, not necessarily full-blown celiac disease. So multiple symptoms can develop over time. And typically what we see is those symptoms go away when we take gluten away. And this is actually a much more common thing than true celiac disease. Again, that was one or 2% of the population. This, this gluten sensitivity can potentially be 30 to 40% of the population. So it's not surprising at all when people are, have symptoms related to gluten. Now, I alluded earlier, I mentioned wheat allergy. Wheat allergy is something that if you've got it, you know it. It's very fast onset. That's a true anaphylaxis. You know, get your EpiPen out. You're, so most people, if you have a true wheat allergy, then, okay, that is completely new ball game there. That's truly a life-threatening problem. All right, so gluten, kind of what is it? Kind of a, it's, a, it's basically a molecule made up of glutenin, which is an elongated protein molecule in gliadin. Gliadin is kind of a curly Q type of little protein molecule, and it's held together with some water, but it's actually very flexible. That's why it kind of gives the stretchiness to, to the dough when you're kind of, if you're making bread, if it has gluten in it, typically it's more stretchy. If you just give to it, it rises, that type of thing. All right, now it tends to be, gluten tends to be found in just about anything. You know, literally can be found, I've got this kind of grocery list on the slide, which you don't need to really look at, but just the point there being is that it can be found in all kinds of things. I have nothing to do with food. It's found in cosmetics. It's found in, you know, um, so things we often use day to day will often ha have gluten in them. Okay. And some of them are, are relatively obvious, obviously wheat flour, um, but uh, anything that may have any type of wheat in it, but also a lot of other flours, from oat flour, barley flour, uh, bran flour, rye flour, um, some of these other older grains may still have gluten in it. Then there are going to be a few grains that don't. Okay, like corn doesn't have gluten in it. Um, Quinoa doesn't have gluten in it. So there are some things that uh, therefore you can make, therefore they can produce gluten-free products made with certain grains. That doesn't necessarily make them healthier, but you won't have that gluten reaction to it though. Then there are a lot of things, kind of a lot of foods even that you may not even think of. I'll just kind of throw out a few of them out there. Like you know, canned baked beans often have gluten in it. Beer. You often have gluten in it, blue cheese, bouillon, chocolate milk, most cereals, unless it's, you know, that will have gluten in it, um, egg substitutes, some energy bars, some flavored coffees, a lot of the non, um, the creamers that, you know, that are put together, which are a lot of 
you know, chemicals basically processed food will often have gluten in it. Fruit fillings in some of the pastries that are out there, some hot dogs and ice cream, um, lots of different things. Ketchup uh, is a common one there. Um, a lot of, uh, I mentioned non-dairy creamers, a lot of salad dressings. They'll often have gluten in them. And it's uh, very minor amounts, but it can be, you know, many, many different things you wouldn't really anticipate there. You know, toothpaste. You know, it's like, who thinks about gluten when you're brushing your teeth? But some of them really do. And if you're truly gluten allergic, or if you want to say a true celiac disease, you have to be really, really careful with these other things. And because it shows up in all kinds of different things. Again, I mentioned cosmetics. They can actually have them too. Shampoos, conditioners, these are other things that may have this gluten in. It tends to be literally everywhere. All right, so gluten sensitivity, again, the much more common, maybe you know, 30 to 40% of the population, really, really common. And it very likely can have some gastrointestinal symptoms. It may not, like, you know, pretty much celiac disease has GI symptoms to it. But gluten sensitivity may have some GI symptoms, and there may be vague GI symptoms that you don't necessarily think of as, gee, this is kind of an allergy or food. Irritable bowel syndrome, just abdominal pain and bloating. You know, if you get, you know, diarrhea, constipation, a lot of gas, reflux. Reflux is a common other symptoms. You may get mouth ulcers. Um, so if you're prone to these, potentially this can be an answer that may not have been discussed previously. And there's lots of other things that can be have a lot of other symptoms with it, from headaches, migraines, brain fog, and just fatigued all the time, muscle joint pain, uh, skin conditions from eczema to rashes to you know, little cysts that develop, um, uh, mental type of thing from depression, anxiety. Uh, can get anemia from this, and that's often from a GI thing that may not give you symptoms, but you're losing blood, asthma, any type of inflammatory condition can, from, you know, my nose runs all the time to true kind of eating disorder, but even asthma, which is an inflammatory condition too. And then finally, a lot of neurologic issues schizophrenia, autism, peripheral neuropathy, where you get numbness or tingling in the peripheral nerves, ataxia, gee, I stumble a little bit, I have terrible balance, ADD, ADHD, all potentially can be related to gluten sensitivity. And so are there different tests that you can do to kind of look at this? Well, yes, but we'll talk about what the real test is here in a couple of minutes. But so they can do antibody testing. And the issue with antibody testing is actually may miss a lot of people that have the problem. It just doesn't show up in their antibody testing. And it's somewhat of a diagnosis of exclusion. And one of the best ways then to really diagnosis is, okay, truly go gluten-free for a good month. And if you go gluten-free for a good month and you find that, hey, a lot of these symptoms that I've been complaining about have slowly faded away, 
then kind of, okay, add some gluten back in and see, hey, do your symptoms return? If very if that occurs, and very likely it actually is due to the gluten. It may not be like in that full-blown gluten celiac disease, but there's more of gluten sensitivity that, gee, when I eat these things or I'm exposed to these things that have a lot of gluten in it, wheat, again, grains are the biggest culprits. Um, and if I take the grains away, I get better, add the grains back in, I get worse. There's your diagnosis right there. You don't need any tests done. That you just need to have the perseverance of actually going gluten-free for a good month or so. And the treatment then is fairly obvious. Is that, okay, you need to be on a gluten-free diet, which is getting sometimes easier said than done because it sneaks into everything. But for people that are truly gluten-sensitive, if they get rid of most of the gluten, they'll typically be okay. You know, not necessarily have to worry about is there gluten in your shampoo or anything or your toothpaste. You know, that's probably likely not going to be the real culprit there. Now, one of the problems with that statement that I just said is that often it is this thought that, gee, okay, I've, I have this gluten sensitivity. I'll just cut back. I've cut back on the, and that's kind of a false impression. You may feel a little bit better and it can be helpful, but you really, if you have true gluten sensitivity, you really ought to avoid it completely. Part of that is because a lot of times symptoms slowly worsen as time goes on. Okay, so just kind of being, at, hey, I'm going to cut back, potentially can improve symptoms, but really the real treatment is you need to, truly avoid gluten. And what you have to realize is that there, there's no nutritional deficiency that occurs if you stop consuming wheat or processed foods or anything that has gluten in it. You're not going to be deficient in something. You're not missing something because, oh, I'm not eating this wheat-based or some gluten-based product. It's like, no, you're not missing anything at all. You're actually just helping yourself. All right, so kind of what are some signs kind of of this kind of, well, it's it's one of those things that can be lots of weird signs and may have nothing to do kind of with the GI symptoms that I mentioned earlier. Those are the biggest things, but it can be all kinds of things from, um, you know, gee, just anxiety, uh, autism. Uh, there's literally hundreds of signs of gluten sensitivity. And again, they're, they're often very vague signs. Brain fog, uh, gee, I just don't feel well, a dairy intolerance, um, depression, uh, certainly any inflammatory type of disease process. Uh, so there can be all kinds of different things. And they often don't sound at all like it'd be related to you know, something great. And just have to keep that in mind that it can actually affect a lot of things that have nothing to do with your GI tract. Okay. So some other kind of signs and symptoms of gluten intolerance that people don't necessarily think about. Okay. And recurring headaches can be one. Just kind of vague GI problems. You know, GI get a little extra bloating, a few cramps. Might not be running to the bathroom all the time, but gee, it just it just kind of I get this upset, bubbly stomach type of thing. 
but other things such as dental issues, okay, um, that mental fogginess, other immunologic inflammatory conditions, some vague type of diagnoses which are often can be related from fibromyalgia, uh, just aches and pains. And gee, it's you know, get up, it's hard to get up in the morning. Okay, those types of aches and pains, they can be related because I'm just fatigued all the time. Skin changes, skin challenges such as rashes, eczema, um, cysts that develop, um, very, very common. They can happen with any type of an inflammatory condition. Gluten intolerance is a common problem with that. So again, I mentioned the, the testing. You can get antibody testing done. And you know, the issue is that it doesn't, it, it, again, it, just because it's negative doesn't mean you don't have it. Yeah, I guess that's where I'm going with that. If it's positive, yeah, you probably have it. Okay, and they can actually test for this anti-gliadin antibody. Um, so you can test your blood for it. Uh, but they can also look for kind of transglutaminase antibodies. And these are muscle proteins. So you can get blood drawn from muscle proteins that come from uh, the damaged intestinal wall. So again, I mentioned earlier, not everybody has those intestinal symptoms. So again, just because you don't have it doesn't mean you don't have a problem though. Okay. Now for celiac disease, because celiac disease typically has a true intestinal problem, that's one of the you know, hallmarks of it. Pretty much most people to have true celiac disease is going to have this. 85% um, you'll get those kind of, uh, those antibodies that you can get tested for. Um, typically 85, 90% are some antibodies. And there are actually a few genetic markers. Again, just because you have the genetic marker doesn't mean you get the problem, but you are generally in a higher risk. And about 40% of the population is gonna have some of these genetic markers anyway. Okay, the HLA-DQ2 is one of them and HLA-DQ8. Okay, DQ2, DQ8. Um, and these are genetic markers that can be tested for. Now, most insurances aren't going to pay for you to, you know, you know, without fighting a big battle about, gee, I'm going to get genetic markers tested. Uh, they may or may not go for that. And then kind of if you really think you have a problem, you can get a rectal challenge. I mean, basically gluten is placed up into the rectum and see if any true reaction occurs. And it's typically going to be an inflammatory reaction. Okay, so this is kind of a test thing that they're actually testing. Do you get some inflammation? They're literally, you know, very close to the bottom end that helps with and it can actually be visualized fairly straightforwardly. I'm not necessarily recommending it get this done. And then finally, you can get small intestine biopsies, which is typically for celiac disease. This uh, gastroenterologist may look down there, take a look into the very beginning of the small intestine, which they can fairly easily reach and do some biopsies from that. So the, one the, part of the problem is there's no really standard there. Okay, there's, it, there aren't any real standard of what defines this. Um, certainly, yes, you can measure for those antibodies, um, both in the blood. You can actually check for them in the stool as well. Um, but again, a lot of people, even if they have a problem, won't have the antibodies in their stool. 
that won't necessarily have the antibodies in their blood at that time. So the real, the gold standard again, typically is going gluten-free. Go gluten-free for a good month, then try reintroducing. See, during that month, do my symptoms go away? If I reintroduce it, do the symptoms get worse? And the bottom line, if they do, if that occurs, then yes, you are gluten sensitive. And it's actually incredibly common, again, 30 to 40% of the population. Now, again, with if going gluten-free, and this just a little side, you know, digress here for a minute when we say, gee, going gluten-free, it doesn't necessarily mean use all the gluten substitutes, okay? meaning that there are a lot of things now that you can find. It used to be very difficult to find gluten-free products. Now, it's actually fairly easy to find gluten-free products, and part of that is because gluten problems are so common. So they make now gluten-free substitutions, gluten-free bread, gluten-free pastries, it's gluten-free, all kinds of things. But a lot, just because it says gluten-free doesn't mean it's good for you. Because typically all they've done is substitute a different carbohydrate in there. And so lots of junk food, lots of processed food are still labeled as gluten-free, which if you're gluten-sensitive, then yes, you need to avoid the gluten side of it. That doesn't necessarily mean you need a bunch of junk food either. So gluten-free itself, the point that I'm making is gluten-free itself does not necessarily correlate with low carb. We talk about low carb diets all the time. Gluten free, if you're actually avoiding typically those gluten products and avoiding those foods and not necessarily substituting. And what I'd like to point out is I talk about the core diet all the time. The core diet for literally anyone should be three things. And that's, you know, water, best thing to drink, lean protein sources, meat, seafood, cheese, and egg, and then colorful vegetable salad stuff. That should be the core of your eating plan right there. Doesn't matter who I'm talking to. That should be the core. And that core diet is gluten-free. And you just realize what I encourage people to eat, and I try to eat mainly myself as well, is stick around with that core diet. The core diet itself is gluten-free. All right, so this was kind of part one of this. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more in deep about the true wheat side of the whole thing, which is found in everything, okay? But still, we'll go a little bit different angle on it. We're talking more about the wheat. So this is part one on gluten sensitivity. Um, part two will be next week, I believe. All right, I don't see questions sitting out there, but this is something that's very, very common. Again, 30 to 40 percent of the population actually has some sensitivity to gluten. The only good way, really knowing that, is try gluten-free. Go gluten-free, see if your symptoms go away, and then if you're and if you're feeling good, then you may just want to stay gluten-free no matter what. Or you can try adding gluten back in, see if your symptoms come back, and that definitely answers the question right there. All right, so as always, I do encourage you get into the membership site. We have the weekly uh, weekly recipes as well as weight loss tips, uh, plus all the other educational materials. Tune in each Tuesday, 12.15 for the next webinar. Watch your email for the invite and link. And remember, it's your life. Make it a healthy one. Have a good day, everyone. Take care.